0: Welcome to iCommunicate on full service radio 830 WCRM to join the conversation call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Good morning,
1: everyone. Welcome to iCommunicate and I'm in a great mood this morning for no other reason than the fact that I um, My partner in crime, Ted, for some reason last week thought it would be acceptable to mentor and train someone else here to help them be more effective at their job. And, you know, he's being super nice and everything, but for some reason he thought that was more of a priority than participating in this show.
2: Well, I I thought you had a guest with you, and I cannot allow my personality to be upstaged by such a person—I mean, she was beautiful. She was intelligent. She was able to handle you. The best bet for me is to bow out. Wow,
1: that's a great point. That was very, very true. She did a really good job. Uh, so, look, today is part three of our third part series that we're calling "Don't Test Me." I'm that's,
2: not gonna, not gonna test you. That, man. That's
1: the an, name. And, and here's here's the little play on words, Ted, with "Don't Test Me." We're talking about learning retention and motivation, right? And so the way we typically test for that is to test, (laughs) just indeed give a test. Yes. So I want to, I want to start out today by sharing an experience I'm having right now. I'm working with an organization who is uh, transitioning their learning and development from in-person to virtual. And, uh, they, they do a great job and they really do right by their members and, uh, So this organization has asked me to really take a big part in helping them develop their learning management system, customize things for their organization, and so on and so forth. And this has been a relatively new experience for me, and not because, I mean, I do e-learning and virtual training, and I do that all the time, but doing it through a specific learning management system that has all kinds of bells and whistles, that is a relatively new process for me. So what's been interesting about this is the amount of steps and components to this ted and and i have to tell you i found myself saying to the group yesterday on the first day apologizing for not for apologizing for being a for what may be perceived as being a ball buster and what i meant by that was this is this is what i made them do ted before the first class this is a six-part program all right so before the first class they were given three things to do number one they were given four questions that to think about, not to respond to, but to think about because I was going to call on them the first day to present their take on the answers to these four questions. The second thing they needed to do is an exercise on self-awareness. And the three questions I asked were, what is typical feedback you get from your boss? What is typical feedback you get from your customers? And what are your expectations for this program? Because I want people when they're learning, and I say this all the time. I want people to be demanding. That's great question. Right? Those
2: are great questions.
1: I want people to be demanding. I want people to be selfish. I don't mind meeting your standards, but I want you to be demanding and selfish. And then the third set of questions, Ted, I ask, and this is what part one of the program is about, is how do you differentiate yourself from other salespeople? How do you differentiate your company from competitors? How do you typically start out a conversation with a prospect? And tell me three ways you demonstrate active listening. Okay, so... These are the three parts they have to do before.
2: Well, defining terms should make it easier for them. You'd think.
1: Now, I don't know as a listener to this program, I don't know what you would see as success for response rate. But I sent out three reminders for them to do this before the program. And of the 25 people in the program, uh, 16 of the 25 got it done. And in all fairness, there were three ads the day before the program started that didn't have time. So we'll say 16 out of 22, really, who had the time. So the point is, is I go into this program, and if you have done any kind of training before, specifically sales training in this case, for every one person that has taken, you've got three categories of people. You've got people who have never had any sales training. You've got people who have had it and thought it sucked. And then you've got people who have had it and maybe thought it was good. But you know what, Ted, the funny thing is? You know what the difference between number two and three, good and sucked, is? No. When I ask them if they how long ago they had it, and let's say it was a few years ago, I get the same answer, which is, tell me something you learned from that training that you're still using today. Huh. And then I get, yeah. oh, oh, uh, no, yeah, no. I, I don't really know. I didn't really think about it. So this is why my approach and this is why i've done three shows on this learning retention and motivation thing because it you know my question proves that even when you like training and when you think it's an effective way of learning the chance that you still retain much of what you learned i mean ted for god's sakes uh, you're taught that um people you only retain within 10 minutes after learning something new you're only going to remember 10 percent of what you just learned
2: But. Mark, I don't want to challenge the newfangled ways of interpreting these things because I'm kind of an old guy, you know. And um, when when we were taught something that it was essential to our curriculum, we were immediately required to use it, and we were told that that was the Socratic method. You have to take a piece of information, use it, and then you'll remember it the next time you need to use it. And You know, that works, but it's terribly painful for some people because being required to do something immediately after learning it is sort of like, well, can I get back to you? People are going to say, well, let me think about it. You know, they're not ready to be put on the spot.
1: Well, I I think that's fantastic. And let me tell you, Ted, how how I'm addressing that, not only in this training, but how I typically address it. So the first thing I do, which is very unusual for trainers to do, is in this case, the sales managers who chose the people they were sending to training are not really actively engaged in this process. So I'm reaching out to all the sales managers every week of the training, and I'm saying, here's what your team did. Here's what they're being asked to do in the interim to use it. And here's how you can actually reinforce it happening. So that's one thing. And then the second thing that I think is really important is the next training that takes place, we're going to do the first half of the training is going to be a reinforce and refresh, and people are going to have to present a more polished version of what they were taught the previous week.
2: Can we go back to what you said about 16 out of 20 actually participated? Yeah. I know it's not, uh, what's the word, au courant, to exclude people who don't follow directions. But again, being an old guy, if I came to class unprepared, I was told to sit over there and no, you <laughs> can't raise your hand, Ted.
1: Well so oh, got to finish with that.
2: Okay. So online with Zoom or Skype or whatever the heck it is, if you have twenty two people participating and only sixteen actually did the work, well it's not inappropriate to tell the others to turn their mic off, and we'll get back to you. Please listen in, and we're going to ask you what you learned since you didn't do the work.
1: Well, you're, you're talking about something that is uh, a slippery slope. Not that I disagree with it, but let me tell you how I'm addressing that, what I'm up against, Ted, in that regard. So we've told everybody, we've made it clear before the training, you can't go on to week two if you haven't completed everything in week one, to your point. And so let's let's play this out. So we've said that in a hundred different ways. Now, we've also told people that if you miss a week, um, you know, you can watch the video. That's the recording of it. But you can't miss more than one week or you can't get certified in the training. The problem is, and I addressed this yesterday, is the elephant in the room. So if you're sitting there in a training and you say, okay, well, if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, and F, you can't get certified, then as the participant in the room i might say to myself so what you know who cares if i get certified so i addressed this yesterday and i actually said to the participants i said let me explain to you why you care about certification it might on the surface mean nothing to you right in that moment but the likelihood that you stay in the very same job you are right now for the rest of your life is slim and none and so based on that mind How nice would it be that if you could have on your resume or when you're interviewing for other jobs that you are certified in these core competencies and have this skill set under your belt, and that's why it's important to get certified?
2: Whenever I was in a classroom and presenting and somebody would say to me, well, how is this relevant to the job we're doing? I'd say, well, all of the pieces of what we teach will work for your job. Let me ask you a question: If you went down to the beach, and the lifeguard who's certified said, "Oh no, I skipped that part where I saved your life,"
1: <laughs> that's a great analogy. Would,
2: would that work for you? Oh, and usually, the classroom relaxes and everybody laughs and says, "Okay, Ted, you know, I'll listen." That's
1: great. Yeah, that's a great point, Ted. And, and I, I will tell you though: here's the biggest challenge I'm up against because I am aligned with what you're saying. Uh, what you're saying. The biggest challenge I'm up against is this. Because I'm working for an organization, and I don't have a direct line to the sales managers. If it was a private training that I was doing directly for a company, I, and I and I knew the managers would back me, then I could say, "Hey, this is how we're doing it." But in this case, they're sending their members and paying these fees, and so if if I said what you said and they said, "Well, screw that, we're paying all this money, you got to do it," that's where the that's where the struggle is for me in this case.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You've got to have the buy-in. Of the person who writes the check to
1: back you when you push. Right. And so, and so look, you know, my, my final piece to this is, you know, I was commenting before on being a ball buster, and the thing the thing that's tricky is my post-test Ted that I give them at the end of the training, I have two rules around the post-test. You have to take it within 24 hours of the training, which is for their own good, while it's fresh in their mind. And the second thing is if you fail the test, uh, and there's six questions. You have to get five out of six. Uh, if you fail the test, then you have to take it. You can't take it again for 12, at least 12 more hours because I don't want them just going right in again and fixing it, right? So but, – but the thing about the test is most online learning tests are true, false, and multiple choice. Why? Because it's tough if you have a huge group of people to do – manage it individually. Are going to read 30 essays? Right. Um, come on. But I refuse, so I just want to say before we head into break that the approach we're doing here is we're doing four open-ended questions that are worth six total points, and you got to get five out of six. So, look, when we come back, I'm going to talk about how companies and organizations can do a better job framing communication in conversation to set the tone where people having a really good attitude to be engaged once they walk in the door. So, for Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll be right back.
0: Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, eight thirty WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate.
1: And if you'd like to call into the show today, we're talking about how to make learning more effective, how to motivate people to retain the information and be excited about the information they're about to learn. And the number to call in is 508-871-7000. What's that number? It's 508-871-7000. So part two of today's show, I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite topics in communication to discuss, and it's around framing conversation in communication. And we're going to talk about one of the five ingredients of Mindset Goes Communication, which is word choice. And I'm going to give you a handful of examples. And before I give you my first example, I want to preface my comment. This isn't and will never be a show about politics. I am giving an example of something, no more, no less, to make a point.
2: Should I use one of the uh, sound effects? You
1: may need to. All right. So one of the things that really breaks my heart about politics, and I consider myself an independent, is the poor word choice usage between Democrats and Republicans. And an example to me is the phrase white privilege. And when you, when you use a phrase like white privilege, it becomes irrelevant what's true or not true about white privilege. And what white people typically hear is an insult. So that is not a good way to make a point about white privilege. And so that phrase will be disruptive when trying to get alignment on an issue.
2: Divisive also.
1: Totally. So that's one example. Now, I've got got another good example for you. Another good example is the word sales. Now, I've, I've talked about this on the show before. Salespeople will do whatever they can to avoid being called a salesperson because it has a negative connotation. How about companies right now especially during covid who are making all kinds of changes think of the email that comes across in your inbox that says we need to alert you about a policy change all you hear is the word change because once we and we're dealing with more change than we've ever dealt in our lives and so the word change is polarizing it's a bad word so there are words that really disrupt being able to process be open-minded, and listen to very specific information. And before I go on to how this impacts learning, retention, and motivation, I want to give one last example that happened yesterday. And You all know I love talking about my kids on the show. So I said to my son, based on the new arrangement in school, my 13-year-old son, Cole, I said, hey, we're going to do some homeschool. I'm going to work with you on some soft skills and such. So if you could have seen the look on his face, because he hears the word homeschool— and it, I mean, even for me, it would sound miserable. Like, uh, like there's nothing good about homeschool.
2: Sure, right. Like, uh, there's no bus. But right. Everybody on that bus rocks back
1: and oh, forth. Right. Right. And so, so I said to him, I go, you know what? Scratch that. We're not doing homeschool. We're going to do student development. And I said, look, I'm not, I'm not try- nice. right? I said, yeah. I'm not trying to fake you out or manipulate you. I'm just empathizing with the fact that if someone told me they were doing homeschool, I wouldn't look forward to it either. Now, that leads me to the the matter at hand. And the matter at hand is this. When companies make the decision that they're going to have their teams or individuals trained, they have made a unilateral assessment in that moment that the people that they want trained either are broken. And I'm I'm being – I'm embellishing on purpose – Broken in the sense that below the norm, you know, not where they need to be in the standards, right? So that's what I mean by broken. That's a nicer way to say it. The second thing they might be thinking about is uh, they need some refreshing. You know, it's been a while since they've had training. They may need some refreshing. But the third thing may be, and this is the key point, the third thing, there's nothing wrong at all. They want to reward them for their hard work and their loyalty and their contributions to the company. And so... So, hey, there's nothing wrong with you, but we want you to continue to grow and develop, not just to benefit us as a company, but to, develop, to benefit you as a person. So here's what goes wrong, Ted. If the, if the best laid plans and intentions are genuinely to reward someone, okay? If I could show you the emails that go out to the people in the training from the company, and it says something like this typically, dear so-and-so, Uh, Mark Altman from Mindset Go will be coming in for training the next four weeks. Please free up your schedule from 2 to 4 on such and such day. And uh, thank you for attending this training. There's no explanation. There's no rationale. It's just you need to be there. And the problem is, is that if you start off a training because you're forced to be there, because you're not performing up to standards – or because someone is assuming you need to be refreshed, what kind of attitude would you typically come into a training with? Dum, da, dum, dum. Right? Yep. And, and, and I literally, one of the questions I asked in those assignments to this organization is, when I said, um, what are you hoping to get out of the training? One person says, I don't know, I've been forced to be here, I haven't really thought about uh. it. And so, it, so much of Good communication is framing it framing it in a way that people, again, can be open-minded to hearing it. So I have actually created two or three email templates that I give to companies to help them set this off on a good foot. And it talks about recognizing people's loyalty, specific contributions, tenure, um, work ethic, whatever. But it's basically acknowledging their team for doing things well. And and telling them that here's an opportunity for professional development, but it doesn't end there. Like that's that's part one. Part two is then including in the email that you want their opinion for what the training is about. So when I talk to an organization, and I know we have a caller on the line, I'll be with you in two seconds. Um, When you have when you're empowering the people in the training. I will have talked to the company and we've agreed on the high-level goals and objectives of the training. But that doesn't mean you can't share that with the people in the training and say, "Hey, the plan is to talk about blank, blank and blank, but we'd like your opinion. Do you think those are the right approaches? If you were to do something different, if you were to add something to the training, are there specific challenges you have?" So we we throw around this word called empower and we just use it very carelessly. I want to empower my team. I want to empower kids. What does it mean? Empower means actually give people the opportunity to share input and feedback. So this is the key, right? It's, it's telling people why they have the opportunity and telling them it as a positive and not a negative, giving them the opportunity, empowering them to share suggestions, feedback, challenges they're having related to leadership, communication, adapting to change, sales, whatever it may be. And then I even do a third thing, which is I often give people assessments or evaluations to gauge their knowledge and skills to make sure that whatever the leadership think the deficiencies are matches up with the self-awareness of the people in the training. So this is the key, right? And and when we come back from the break, we're going to we're going to talk about the mindset of someone learning something new and how challenging and overwhelming it can be to process information, whether it's in a, certainly in a virtual environment, but also in an in-person environment. So when we come back, we'll take the call and for i communicate, my name is Mark Altman. We'll be right back.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: continues on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. We're talking about learning, retention, and development, and how to motivate and engage people to learn. And, you know, I talked in the beginning of the show, my partner in crime, Ted. Well, I have another partner in crime that happens to be on the phone right now, a friend and very uh, successful colleague, Joe Lyman. Joe, good to hear from you.
3: Hey, thank you, sir. You, you know, I was struck when you were speaking. I, I couldn't agree more with, with what you say. The, the idea that we don't involve people in, in their training before they show up for it, and sometimes they're there simply because they've been voluntold, is, is, is kind of crazy, right? I mean, the very essence of, of wanting to learn is part of the necessity of learning, But how do you want to learn if you don't know what you're going to or why you're going to
1: it? Well, Joe, and I have to ask you, you know, one thing that I, you know, I haven't even spoken about yet. And I'd love to know if not only if you run into the same thing, but how you deal with it is when you when you deal with that voluntold approach or people, the messaging to go into the training that you're not up to standards or whatever. I feel like I have to actually spend the first half hour, 45 minutes of trading addressing that elephant in the room. And getting people knowing that it's going to be worthwhile and it's going to be engaging. And you almost have to kind of deal with that. And it adds an extra wrinkle to the training that wouldn't necessarily have to be there otherwise.
3: Oh, I think you're absolutely correct. In fact, I've, I've gotten to the point now where that's my beginning, right? It's like, why be here? And I, and I actually tell them, uh, I flat out say, I say, it doesn't matter if you learn something new today. It doesn't matter. I say, what on, the only thing that matters is if you do something different to create a better outcome when you go back to your workspace. And and that sometimes catches people off guard, but I think it gets them, it gets them past the, what am I doing here? Right? I, I actually walked into a training one day when I said, so how long have all of you known you were coming to this training? And this training had been planned like for a couple of months. And they said, uh, you know, like 20 minutes. Uh, That's insanity. Because first of all, people can't put anything in the back like an agenda at a meeting, right? The agenda tells you what you're going to be thinking about when you walk through the door to your meeting, knowing that you're going to training and knowing what's going to be discussed is how you begin to think about it and how you begin to understand and look for ways for it to be beneficial to you. But when you just you know, blank people out like that. That's just a really bad idea. Adults, adults in particular, I mean, kids go to school anticipating that something will happen. Adults don't go to work with that same mindset when it comes to training. So whatever we can do to help people get to that point is beneficial to them, which of course is the point why somebody paid to have the training in the first place.
1: Well, and I think Joe brings up a really important point. and And Joe, I found that I've started to do this over the last couple of months with coaching because what I'm finding is, you know all we we know everybody's always busy and loves to use the word, but my point is is that often my clients come to coaching sessions and they've given no thought to what they want to talk about, where they need help, stop and be mindful of, hey, what's going on in my day, Let me think about what do I want to accomplish goals and objectives. And so I've started this new process where I'll actually email them the day before with a little very mini email that says, these are the three things I need you to be thinking about tomorrow. So if nothing else, it stops them in their tracks and actually makes them take a few minutes to do that. Um, And I think what you're talking about is when people say they're getting 20 minutes notice or extremely short notice, you don't give them an opportunity to get in the right mindset, to think about where they may need help, how they could take advantage of the training. And so I think that's a huge point, really important.
3: Well, and and it goes back a step further, too, because sometimes you'll be talking to a company and you'll say, so why are you doing this training now? What is what is the what are you trying to fix with this training? And people will go like, well, we did a needs assessment. OK, how did you do the needs assessment? And usually that consists of, well, we asked people what they might be interested in. <laughs> yeah. what, I, I, wait, what? Because needs assessment and what would you like to learn for the, you know, the topic du jour are two radically different things.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And, and so, I, no, go ahead, Please go, so, Joe. Continue.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, I, I just I think we do we do a disservice to the very people that we claim to want to bring into the room to benefit when we haven't re, First of all, we haven't prepared the field. Right. I mean, if you think of it in a natural analogy, you you don't just throw seeds on the ground. Right. You dig a hole for them. You give them some place to sit and think, so to speak, and and then you water them and then you you fertilize them and you add to them. But nothing grows in terms of learning or plants without proper planning. And so many times businesses do it is just uh, almost on a whim. I mean, not literally, but very close.
1: Yeah, you're, you're very right. And uh, it's funny. I, I talked to a guy the other day from, um, well, I'll just say it's, it's, it's intended to be a compliment. It's the uh, head of learning and development for Middlesex Savings Bank. And, and he, I noticed on his LinkedIn profile, he had been doing it for 15 years. I'm going to give a shout out to this guy. Um, his name is Herbert Perry and uh we had about a half hour call and joe you you would have you would have died i mean this guy um understands all the key aspects of learning and development he does it all the right way um from evaluations to empowering the people involved to establishing outcomes to preparation to planning you name it i got off the phone well i said to him before i got off the phone i said Herbert. Wow, I've dealt with a lot of financial institutions over the course of my career. And I've, not only have I never talked to anybody like you, I've never talked to anybody even close to like you. And, uh, he, you know, he he appreciated the compliment. But I'll tell you, Joe, when you do stumble upon organizations or people that really understand and really have people in place, and, and by the way, Joe, one of the comments I made to him is, I feel like a lot of time this this learning and development position is becoming more prevalent at bigger companies. But I think a lot of times that position is created and rewarded to someone not who necessarily has the qualifications to learning and development. They've done other things that are recognizable. And they said, hey, you know, this could be a natural fit for you to do learning and development where this guy's been doing it for 15 years and has made a career out of it. So that's another piece.
3: Well, and I think you've just hit on something that's critical that is not only is not well understood, but is sometimes simply ignored. And you used two words, learning and development. And in our culture, we have this conscious and unconscious, I believe, bias in favor of learning, right? Go to the course, get the test done, get a good grade. But what happened to the development portion of that sentence? Hmm. Right. What happened to the idea that there is some value, some purpose, some greater, further down the line benefit to learning something? It, I mean, the part of the problem is that as a result of the way public education works in this country, hmm. I, I shouldn't even point out public, but education in general, right, right. we value the ability to cover the material, take a test, and demonstrate our competency – Except that if you ask somebody six months later what they studied, as you referenced earlier with, you know, training, what do you remember from the training? What are you still using from the training? People go like, what do you mean? So we, we, we've got the learning end that we focused on, and, and we could have a conversation about how that has its own issues, but we don't talk about the development end, which is ultimately the point to the learning so that when it's, when it's not part of the, of the conversation – it just gets lost.
1: Yeah, great point. Joe, God, you always add so much value. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, great, great insight. And uh, you and I have to catch up very soon. Uh, great to hear from you.
3: Absolutely. Thanks a lot. All Take right. care. Take care, Joe.
1: So, look, you know, uh, Joe really made so many great points. And I I, I just want to say that I had this big epiphany the other day about someone, someone said something to me that made me think of something. Ted, check this out. I was talking to a former client and uh, we were talking, well, I'm like, how's it going? You know, are, are you doing the things we discussed? And I would mention one or two or three things. And he would say, and one of the things he said was, he goes, oh, I got to remember to do that. Oh. And I thought to myself, think of how many times we utter that phrase over the course of our life, oh, I got to remember to do that. And one of the points Ted I make to people about communication, and you know, I'm a very, tra- people who know me, I'm direct. I tell it like it is. When people deserve compliments, I can be the most complimentary person you, you in the world. You do
2: have a filter, but you are very direct.
1: Right. And so here's an example. Yesterday in the, in, the, in the training, someone said, I said, will you commit to doing that? And they said, I'll try. And I stopped the training and I said, look it, this might sound harsh, but when people use the word try, it's an excuse to fail. Now, I'm not saying to the person that that's what you were trying to do necessarily, but I am saying there is a reason we use the word try. So my point is that when you say I have to remember to do something, what you're really saying is it's not a priority yet for me to remember to do something because if it was – you would actually take steps to incorporate it into what you're doing as opposed to, yeah, I just got to remember to do that.
2: Yeah, I get in a lot of trouble with my kids when they say that. Oh, I have to remember. I say, you will when you want to.
1: Well, and and that's a great point. And I'll tell you, Ted, I've been very open on the show. I've I've been seeing um, a therapist for three years. It's fabulous because I'm helping people all day and I need to get my – Sanity checks with oh, yeah, her? Yeah,
2: the caretakers are the ones that carry the most of the burden.
1: Right? And so, um, so the point is, is that it's so important, right, that when we use words, like I've got to remember to do that. And my therapist says to me, she goes, Mark, you, you got ADD, so you're always writing stuff down to make sure you remember to do that. And I said, well, that may be true, but at least I'm making, taking a step to do so. So look, when we come back for our, our final segment, we're going to talk more about setting expectations in um, processing learning and effective ways to really get that retention piece down. For I Communicate, this is Mark Altman. We'll be back. Tired up.
0: I Communicate continues on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. Uh, Thrilled to be here with you on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, Just before we get into our last topic today, I just want to remind everybody if, you know, Mindset Go is about helping people become more confident and effective communicators. And the idea is really to set people up to succeed through emotional intelligence through generational communication, and uh, through uh, improved conversations. And if you have, whether you're an HR or you're a leader within the organization or you're part of a sales team and you think you could use some help or your company could use some help, call 978-206-1535 or you can email at uh, info at And would love to hear from you. If nothing else, uh, perhaps I can help you solve some problems and always like to uh, pay it forward. So, go ahead, Ted.
2: Mark, I, I, I know that uh, you've got a full dance card, but one of the things that I always think of after the show, on my way home, after we've, and I never get it out, and you, you may want to approach some of the regional police departments mm. and help them with how to um, address a certain element of our community.
1: It's a great suggestion, Ted. And actually, there is a uh, local football coach here who's also a police officer who's a great guy. And I had had conversations with him about that about a year ago, but then I got busy and I got distracted because I do think there's a very important market for that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, thanks. That's a great suggestion. So look, part four, I want to introduce a thought to everyone. And this is something I was thinking about uh, a couple days ago. And one of the things I try to be mindful of as a learner and and as a trainer, both, is overwhelm. And, you know, one of the things is, I don't know how long, if you are the kind of person, and I don't care whether it's virtual learning and personal learning, I don't care. But one of the questions I always think is, what's the right amount of time for training? Is it micro-learn, 30-minute segments? Is it an hour, two hours, four hours, eight hours? Well, here's what I know. Eight hours is ludicrous. And I would argue with anybody, that is just not an effective way. I'm starting, I used to, my rule with companies is I wouldn't even do more than four hours. But I'm even starting to think four hours is an excessive amount of time. To me, the sweet spot of a training is right around two, two to three hours max. But that depends. Some people really prefer micro learning. So here's the point I'm trying to make. I want you to put yourself in the mindset of someone who's being trained. I want you to think about almost like a pyramid approach for a moment. And so the top of the pyramid is, what are my expectations? I'm sitting down for this training. I'm having 90 minutes of learning. What do I expect? I know what the training's about. I've seen the description. I've seen what's going to be covered. So the top of the pyramid is, what do I want to learn? What do I expect to learn in 90 minutes? Keep in mind that to learn a new skill, habit, and competency, Malcolm Gladwell says it takes 10,000 hours. That might be an exaggeration. I don't know. But my point is got to be a week at least. Right. right. What, what can you do in 90 minutes? That's part one. Part two is what topics will be covered? If you're a trainer, you've got to ask what re- what amount of topics can you reasonably cover in 90 minutes where you give those topics their due, where you can adequately cover those topics, not squeeze in a little bit of four topics, adequately cover one or two topics. Level three of the pyramid is now switching back to the participant is, what did I like? Training's over. You've got notes. You've written down. I like strategy A, B, and C. Now watch the final three layers of the pyramid. The third layer is, what did I like? The fourth layer is, what do I want to work on? And the fifth layer is, what will I actually commit to working on? And so what that last part, those last three parts are really important because most people, when they finish listening to a speaker or a trainer or even a coach for that matter, are pretty clear what they like. Everybody can pretty much say, yeah, I I, I liked blank and blank. But then they'll say, they'll get back to their office and they'll be like, all right, well, what do I want to work on? Hmm, I do think it would help to do that. Now keep in mind the what you want to work on layer of the pyramid is critical that you understand the benefits that if you do work on it, you'll actually see ROI and benefits.
2: The last part of the pyramid reminds me of something you've said over and over and over during your show. There's a significant difference in performance between those people who write down their goals and people who just think about it. And I think that might be part of your last pyramid line. What are you committed to and willing to write down?
1: Yeah, and, and Ted, you know what's interesting about that is it really it really piggybacks on the why. Because when you make those goals, you're doing two things. And Ted, Ted was rightfully bringing that because you're talking about accountability, really. And so the idea in this pyramid is the goals – give you the accountability, but they also help you facilitate the conversation of, wait, why do I want to do this? Because if if you set those goals, if you know the steps you t- have to take to achieve the goals, and if you know the, the benefit of those goals, those are the three things, right? The goals themselves, the steps to take, and the benefits of them, that's what you need to know to kind of know what you're going to commit to. And Look, a lot of what we talk about around communication, around emotional intelligence, I I talked about it earlier on the show today. It's almost like you have to manipulate yourself. You know, so when I say to my son, it's not homeschool, it's student development, you know, I don't want him to think I'm manipulating him because I'm not. That's not my intention. I just want him to hear it differently. But when you say, what will the stuff I will commit to and what habits do I want to change? It's almost like, God, that word change. You know, what habits do I want to change? You can't really change habits. You have to replace habits. You can change behaviors, but you can replace habits. But that's what makes learning so difficult. You have to go down all of those layers. What are my expectations in 90 minutes? You know, what, what are the topics that are going to be covered so I won't feel overwhelmed? What did I like? What do I work on? I need to set goals. What will I commit to? That's a lot. Like, for a 90-minute training to have to think about all those things, like, it's the right way to do it, but that doesn't mean it's a lot because guess what? Guess what happens, Ted, after the 90-minute training? Oh, my God, I have so many emails to respond to. Got to deal with life. I got to deal with life. I got I to pick up my kids. I got to. And so that's the other thing about training. There is no process time after the training because usually people are running to the next thing they had to do. I'm glad you brought that up because
2: the best training I ever went to was punctuated by an ice cream parfait.
1: <laughs> That's great. Um, well, and, and one of the things with our with our guest last week, Corinne Ferry, that I've talked about is, and we had a very fun, respectfully disagreeing conversation about this, is what how that plays out in schools when you have all these back to back 50 minute classes, and I've just learned all these things in social studies, and, and off I am in, a minute later in science. And I'm like, whoa, I just learned a whole bunch. What, tell me about science now. And and that's just not realistic, and that's not a way to learn. And for those of you who are in education, look, I am a big believer in not offering a problem unless you have a solution because I don't like complaining just to complain, and I don't have necessarily the solution in education yet. However, it is on my bucket list, and I am genuinely saying this, is I plan on either opening up a charter school or something called Mindset Go University, where I'm gonna turn learning on its ear because I know what it takes to be an effective learner and to facilitate effective learning. You know, and, and I don't I, I refuse to accept the status quo. And I'll tell you, you know, one thing that I am feeling very sad about right now is that so many teachers who are genuinely engaged in schools, I don't care if it's public school, private school, whatever. Are, are losing their, their fervor and passion for teaching because of what's going on with all the different learning techniques. So, look, the thing about setting expectations when it comes to learning is there's a lot of things. You, you have to do so many different things to engage. You know, on the training I did yesterday on that virtual training, there's 25 people, and one of the things I said to people in the beginning of class is I said, look, I just want to warn you ahead of time. I will call on you unannounced. And again, not trying to be a ball buster, but what I'm trying to let them know is choose to pay attention or not pay attention at your own peril. And there was a couple of people during the training yesterday that I called on unannounced that that didn't even know what the question was. Like that's how little they were listening. They didn't even know what the question is. So I just, I want to finish with final thought today. Um, Learning is a two-way street. You know, I've talked about in schools that it's not just the teacher's responsibility to make sure it's effective learning. It's the students' and the parents' responsibilities to set them up for success. And that's exactly how I see myself as a trainer. You know, I'm going to do everything I can do to make the experience great so they feel confident, comfortable, and ready to apply what they learned. But it's, you have to come to the training with the right attitude, with the right energy, with the right mindset, with the right support systems and reinforcement systems in place for continuous learning, with a plan to practice, with the uh, motivation to prepare. You know, all these things are fundamental components in training. And as a company, if you believe in training or you're thinking about training, let's have a conversation to just discuss, even if you don't hire me, I'm happy to share best practices and set you off on the right foot, if nothing else. So thank you again for joining us for another edition of i Communicate. Thank you, Ted, for all your wonderful help and insight. I'm thank Mark you. Altman for i Communicate. We'll see you next time.
0: You've been listening to iCommunicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.